Hey, I'm Laura. And I'm B. And you've discovered The Energy to Heal, a podcast brought to you by Embolden Label. In seasons of struggle, it's obvious what's wrong, but somehow fixing what's broken seems impossible. Here you'll learn about Splunkna, a faith-based method for breakthrough that will allow you to get unstuck and move towards freedom. It allows you to connect the dots that led you into hardship in the first place and release and restore what's holding you back. Splunkna brings together the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of an issue. This whole person approach leads to lasting change when compared to traditional methods. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Energy to Heal. Uh, You guys, this episode I have been so excited about since before we even started recording our first episode because we have the founder of Splunkna here with us to answer some very specific questions. Uh, Her name is Sarah Thiessen, and she is a counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and a licensed professional counselor. And she has an extensive history of working with people in a counseling setting, and in her life has come up with this uh, entire modality with the help of the Holy Spirit of Splunkna. Now, at some point, we're going to have her share that story of how she got to where she's gotten with Splunkna. But today we're going to be talking about really the science behind this modality. I have a brother-in-law who is a very critical thinker and he was a little bit um, on the fence about Splunkna before he and his family started doing it because he didn't have anyone addressing this side of the legitimacy of Splunkna, why it works. Tell me why this is effective. Um, he just kept hearing all these testimonial stories and his mind was just a little skeptical because he's like, what is the reason that this works? When he heard someone teach on it, that was all he needed was just, okay, I'm ready to let my son try this. And he did. And it was extremely beneficial for their family. Um, so I want to be able to provide that for the listener of this episode or this podcast who might be saying, yeah, but tell me why. What is this based off of? It's not, is it just feel good feelings? Why does this work? So um, I'm going to introduce you, Sarah. Thank you so much for spending your time to come on here and explain this to us. I'm excited just to be the listener as well. I have sat underneath Sarah as I've gotten trained in the different levels of Splunkna. And I will tell you, it is my favorite thing to do in my year is to go and just listen to her teach because she is brilliant and she's an amazing communicator. And I can't wait to bring her to you. So Sarah. Thank you for being here. Well, what a generous, wonderful introduction. Thank you. That I my mean, day every is good word now. Of it. <laughs> I'm I'm good I mean, to go for the rest of, of the day. Yeah. Uh, well, I so appreciate being on, and I so appreciate you guys doing this podcast. So helpful. Um, definitely a blind spot, weak point of mine is any sort of marketing, internet, anything. I'm always way too busy trying to get the next person in front of me to heal, <laughs> to yes. even think think about the internet. So, um, so thank you for all that. I appreciate, appreciate you both. So, um, it may sound counterproductive, like I'm throwing myself under the bus, but the first thing to know about the science behind this is that it's, it's, um, mysterious. It is not proven science in the way that we Western thinkers like it to be. So that said, the fact that this, what scientifically this work is based on theory not on what we can prove in traditional senses under microscopes. Okay, so yes. th- that that disclaimer set aside, the theory is 
that in in the world of subatomic or quantum physics, there is there is implication that thought itself, emotion, intention, attention, that these things have some kind of a substance at a subatomic level. We get that idea from very famous, very well replicated studies like the double slit screen test, where the the um, observation that we can make is that a, a attention of a human being, the person literally watching um, when they're shooting an atom, however they do that, from one side of the room at a screen, there seems to be this effect that attention has. So mm-hmm. way down inside of all the atoms, everything's made up of atoms, right? Way down inside of the atom, in the very center of the atom, there is this action going on right in the middle. And that action is a it's a shifting in state between what the physicists call wave to particle and back again. So mm-hmm. when when the middle of the atom is in wave state, it's what they call mathematical full potential which is crazy. I'm not a physicist, right? So I have to give, I have to give you like kindergarten physics because that's the best I got. I love it. That's what I need. It's yeah. It's something like when the atom is, when the center of the atom is in wave state, it is in this state of full potential, meaning it could be any place, any time, if it were to materialize or the language they use in physics is collapse if it were to collapse into a particle temporarily. So when the wave collapses into a particle for a second, it, it sort of chooses for a minute, one particular space and time. And then it moves back into wave again. Like I could be anywhere, anytime. Okay. Now, okay. All, all I know, super crazy. All of a sudden our, our heads are still are melting. We haven't even started into the craziness that is the <laughs> subatomic world. So the reason that this applies to Splunkna is because um, this this action, this motion inside the atom also has larger representations like um, like a big version of that little motion. And that big version, one of those is represented in the human body. So in the human body, there is a theoretical system called the acupuncture system or the meridian system of mm-hmm. energy. Now, uh, energy, the word energy tends to get Christians super nervous because it's been absconded and and used by so much um, new age philosophy, new age thinking. And, um, and yet energy in its origin is really just the word that the physicists gave to that action in the middle of the atom that they can't find a source for, they can't find a force. So we know from big physics, from macro physics, the, remember the law of inertia in high school physics, right? That an, an object at rest will stay at rest. An object in motion will stay in motion, right? So in order for there to be motion, which is what you find at the middle of every atom, the atom being what makes up everything, right? You find all this motion at the middle of the atom, but there isn't any known source. There's no force causing all of that motion. And so the Mm -hmm. physicists, when they observe that, they say, well, we don't know what's causing all that motion. We will call it energy. So energy is just the physics term for the unknown source of all of that motion at the center of creation. Okay. Scientific so that, term. Sure. So that motion has a representation in the body as well. And it, it, it looks something like currents in water in the body and they're mm-hmm. called meridian lines in the body. They're what acupuncture, chiropractic, a lot of Eastern medicine is based on. Now, the reason that this is theoretical is because we haven't found, we found some implications scientifically, but we haven't been able to find the kind of proof that we really like for the existence of these meridian lines. The closest that we found to proof are things like 
if you inject radioactive isotopes into a suspected acupuncture point in the body, that the isotopes will naturally on their own, they will trace the the expected meridian line. Whereas wow. if you inject one of those isotopes into a spot that's not an acupuncture point, they just kind of dissipate in a circle right there. Um, so we have, we have, you know, pointers, but yes. we don't really have the kind of proof. Like we can't look under a microscope and go, there's the meridian line, right? Um, and so it really is um, theoretical still at this point. And the mechanisms themselves are theoretical. When I first described all this science to my husband years and years ago, when I first met him, he listened to the whole thing. And he said at the end of it, it may work for different reasons than you think. And, and I thought, that's true. It might. It really yeah. might work for different reasons. And so mechanistically, um, scientifically, we definitely come with heavy grain of salt, not, not claiming these things as if they are proven um, traditionally. Um, so theoretically, that motion in the body, um, the moving and everything is also affected by um, both our attention and human touch. It's part of what, um, for instance, Reiki, which has several distinct problems of its own, but um, what Reiki is utilizing mechanistically, what um, healing touch is utilizing in the nursing community. Um, and so supposedly a good combination, an informed combination of touch in the acupuncture system. So literally the client holding an acupuncture point where an emotion is thought to be stored in the body, that combination of touch and thought or intention acts mm -hmm. for reasons unknown yet like something like a prompt to the body, an invitation to release a particular little frequency of stored emotion. So if we back that up, um, because, because our attention, human attention, seems to cause the wave to collapse into particle, that's why we have this impression that intention has some kind of weight or thought has some kind of weight on a subatomic level is because when we watch them shoot the atom from one side of the room to the other, the watching causes the wave to collapse. If nobody's watching, it stays in waves. And so that's where we get that implication that attention has some kind of a uh, substance or a frequency like weight maybe on a subatomic level. But all of those are metaphors we're kind of reaching at describing um, this, the macro impact we see in those sort of studies. So, so when we're doing Splanka, what we're doing is we are coming from the assumption that our bodies are storing all of the emotions, all the memories, all the sensations, all the impressions, all the beliefs, everything we've ever known our entire lives, our bodies are carrying at the frequency level. So a tiny, like a tiny little vibrational wave that represents each of those experiences throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. And so we all walk around in the world like walking databases carrying in us everything we've ever known. And so when we have a moment of trigger is our current word, when something in my current stimuli reminds me of an old experience, whether positive or negative, everything that we experience ongoing in our lives as human beings, we interpret and understand all of the sensory data that's coming in. We interpret it through the lens of all previous life experiences. That's how we make sense of current stimuli, right? So when current stimuli reminds me of an old trauma, it's like it double clicks that file. So the example we usually usually use in Splunkna is like if I had a simple phobia, like let's say I'm five years old and I fall off the bunk bed and break my arm and there's big drama in the family and the ambulance comes and mom's freaking out and having panic attack and right, yeah, big trauma. I might find myself as an adult with a an ongoing fear of heights 
So when I walk over to the four-story window and my eye sees the height, what, what will happen is my brain, my system as a whole will say, so what are my associations with height? What does height mean, right? So all of my life experience related to height gets double-clicked and comes up to my screen to help me interpret and make sense of the current stimuli. And so if, if my previous life experience with height is traumatic, is full of fear, then that's, it's almost like that file gets double-clicked and all that fear memory comes up to my screen as this is what I have associated with height, right? Mm-hmm. So now in, in talk therapy, if I were to go in to talk about my fear of heights, let's say that I'm one of those lucky people and I, I happen to know exactly where this fear of heights comes from. I remember the trauma, I was five, I fell to bed, everything was dramatic. And ever since then, I've had a fear of heights, right? Knowing that the current symptom is connected to that trauma is unfortunately not enough to change it. Mm. The, the insight doesn't really change it. And expressing to my therapist how that fear feels when it comes up or what the original trauma was like or, or how logically I really know better that I don't need to be afraid of heights. Like None of that conscious discussion really changes the association between the stimuli today and the old trauma back then. And so the best that I can do in talk therapy is get better and better at managing that fear when it rises up on me, right? I can get better at talking myself through that. I can get better at um, really holding on to being present emotionally and clear that I'm not in that trauma right now and my feet are on the ground and right. Like I can get better and better at managing the emotional trigger, the fear when it gets double clicked. But what Splunkma does is, it says, okay, so if theoretically that original trauma when I was five and I fell to bunk bed, if that is, is in my body, if my body is holding that at the frequency level, then what if we were to sort of crack open the database in my body and trace in and find, like, here's the spot where my body is holding those emotions from that day. And that combination of touch and thought, literally remembering the trauma and tuning in one by one to the different emotions that I felt that day, that touch plus thought, circuitry plus intention, if you want to sound really scientific, is is a prompt to one by one invite my body to let go of each of those stored emotions, like little frequencies that sort of float out. They dissipate out um, sort of a reabsorbed in the quantum field, um, whatever that might actually, we don't know, but that's kind of, again, the metaphorical theory. And so for for reasons no one really knows yet in any field, that touch plus thought does seem to give the body a prompt or an invitation. The frequency of the emotion releases out, kind of like if you let loose of a helium balloon, flies out of the body somehow, and seems to permanently do so. So mm-hmm. it's it's as if we go into the height file itself clear out its original data. And so now when I go over to the same window that gave me a panic attack a half an hour ago, right? I go to the same window, I still see the height and my system will still say, what do we have on height? What are the associations, right? But now when I double click that same height file, here's all my life experience related to height. Now when I double click that height file and it comes up to my screen, it comes up cleaned out. So all those original really strong emotional attachments that were related mm. to the, the stimuli of height are missing now. Mm-hmm. So now I look at that same distance from me to the ground. And when the height file comes up, I remember the trauma, but it comes up feeling clean, sort of like it's 
blank where it yeah. used to be really intense fear emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a general rule, it's not perfect. Nothing is, but for the most part, when you find those emotions as they really were at the time and clear them out of the body, they release permanently. It's not a matter of willpower or talking yourself out of it. They're physiologically removed. So people will say sometimes, particularly with anxiety disorders, people will say, oh my gosh, I, I so don't have that fear response anymore. It's freaking me out. Like That's so weird. And they'll say, but, but what if it comes back? And I'll say, I dare you, knock yourself out. Do your best. <laughs> Like you could bend over backwards to get that fear back. You can't. The reason you can't is because in order to get it back, you'd have to go be five years old falling off the bunk bed again. You'd have to re-experience that trauma, which you can't do, thankfully. Now, you could, of course, get a brand new trauma of involving height and you could store brand new emotions that, yep. that exhibit like a fear of height. But that's not the same as getting it back. That's getting a new something, right? Uh, and so, yes. so... That's kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a stretch, I realize, to even call it the science behind, because it's all very theoretical, but that is what it is based on. Yes. yes. And the reason that the field even exists, considering that we can't prove it in our traditional ways, is because yeah. quantum, quantum physics itself is, is all based on how, how elegant and how reliable and how pristine the math is. So for instance, we, we can't see with a microscope, a proton and a neutron. We can't see the wave and the particle at the middle of the atom, but we, we know that they're there because the very, very reliable replicatable studies that they do in physics where they say, okay, so if we're right about how things work down at the tiny level, right, then if we do intervention A to this atom, it should result in result B if we're right. Mm-hmm. And when they do intervention A, result B very reliably does occur. And so the, the it's, it's um, scientific in that sense, but we still don't get to watch with the naked eye. We don't get to watch intervention A turn into result B. And so mm-hmm. that's why there's still, but the, the field exists um, without being able to see it because the math works so well that we figure, well, we've got to be at least pretty close. We as human beings, not, not, I'm not yeah. taking credit for what the physicists do, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we as human beings and our current understanding of how things go. So, so, you know, we can't measure, for instance, the, or find um, a frequency of an emotion. That's, that is a theory um, a somewhat metaphorical theory. And the reason that it even exists is because when different folks in, um, with different goals attempt to operate, well, what if that was true? Then if we did this, that would happen. Well, that reliably happens. Splunknet is a very good example of that. So yes. we are, we have a client um, hold an acupuncture point, for instance, on their body and, and think about, remember, or tune into, or imagine in some cases, if it's a pre-conscious trauma, um, tune into the emotion, what it was like to feel the emotion in the moment of trauma that we're working on. And that combination of touch and thought does produce a reliable response, a report from clients one after the other, year after year, mm-hmm. different countries, different. I mean, it's, um, it, it is a imperfect but but very useful um, structure. Now, could we find out in 20 years that it works for completely different reasons than we thought? Sure. Uh, and I'm certainly open to that. I, I would not die on the hill that, um, that I understand the mechanism perfectly, but I will die on the hill that for whatever reason, 
there is a beautiful um, bit of efficacy in what we're doing here. It feels very like following God. Sometimes it's like you can't wrap your head around everything that he does or he's about, but we still follow him. And Splunkna, being do- I've been doing it for about two years now. It is very God-honoring. It is very an experience with the Holy Spirit. And it is, I have seen countless testimonies of people getting so much help from Splunkna. So I hear you when you well, say I would die on that hill. Yeah, I'll die on that hill. Yeah. Uh, the hill of does it work? Yes, it does. And I will die on that hill. It's been, it's been, and it's okay um, if we don't know why to the yeah, yeah. degree. It's, it's been decades and thousands of people. I mean, thousands of people. So I, yeah. if I, if I could just bank on my own experience and my own clients or even my own life, um, it would be enough for me. But, but the fact that I've had the crazy privilege of training thousands of people who are going out and healing thousands of people themselves. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, there's no, yeah, that why it works. I won't die on that hill, but that it does. I will. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. and you brought up, you know, I, I haven't even, because you asked me about the science and that's what this one is about. I haven't even touched into, into the best part of course, which is that it's all led by the spirit of the Lord, that it's all leaning yes. super, super hard into the fact that he's the one who knows every little detail of what's stored in my body, every little detail of what I've experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. He was there and present and with me at every single tiny experience and saw how I built the connections between my my life experiences and my current symptoms. And yeah, um, so that's a whole um, a second podcast here. We'll get into the yeah, whole theology we do have- side of it. We do have that episode coming up next after this one. So stay tuned for the theology side of it. We just can't fit it all into one 30 minute episode, but it does make me want to encourage you if you're the listener and you're hearing this and you're like, if I can wrap my head around Splunkna, then I will try it or I will let my kids try it or whatever it may be. I want to encourage you. That is a very Western way of thinking, as Sarah talked about in the beginning. We've been trained that if we can measure it, see it on a microscope, put it on a map, then it's real. And if we can't, it's not real. And I want to challenge that thinking in there's so much about this world that we as humans just don't understand. We don't know everything about how our own bodies work, how emotions work, unless you are an expert in subatomic particles you will not be able to wrap your head around this. And even then we don't have hundreds and hundreds of years of research on this. So even if you were the expert, there's going to be elements of this that is scientifically beyond where humans have come so far. And that's okay. Just last week, um, Heather and I were out at the transformational Alliance. Well, there's an annual get together, sort of a reunion Mm -hmm. um, where several of us that have um, founded and developed different inner healing models in uh, the Christian world, we get together just to be in community. And uh, Dr. Carl Lehman, who is the founder of Emmanuel Prayer, he and I have had many, many hours of discussion about mechanisms and about quantum physics and all of that. And uh, as he is is famous for me, uh, he says all the time, you know, you even the quantum physicists are don't fully understand and there's so much mystery and so much bafflement when it comes to um, that level of creation it's it's mystery is just confounding i mean there are so many functions at the teeny tiny level that are mind-blowing all by themselves you know like entanglement and superlocation, and there's just um it's a wild wild world 
It is. It makes me think of, let's say you are living in a world where you know how to make something edible called crackers and you make it and you put all the ingredients together and it's great. And then you find out if you put these random little things called yeast in, the crackers get huge and turn into bread. And you have no idea why these little things that you add to the dough totally changes your crunchy crackers into this soft, delicious bread. You can't explain it to your neighbor. You don't know the science behind yeast. You just know that if you sprinkle the yeast in, it changes everything. That's how I feel about Splunk. It's like when people ask me as a practitioner, how, why does this work? I can give them a tiny little explanation, but for the most part, it's like, all I know is that when you put the yeast in this dough and cook it, it things change. And I've There's, had to come to terms with that. As a nurse, I like the scientific explanation and I can just a drop in the bucket, wrap my head around it. Well, and it's not just that we like the scientific explanations. There, There's integrity in really chasing out, searching out the science behind something. And we, yeah. there, it's, a, it's a difficult balance to hold because on the one hand, you don't want to get so bound into the science that you won't ever experience anything where the mechanism isn't completely described. You, will, you don't want to be that conservative because there's a lot of, you're going to miss out. There's a lot of forfeiture yeah. on that side. But also, especially in the holistic world, I think um, ever ever since snake oil salesmen, right? Like back in the 1800s, there, there's the other side of that imbalance where where we can we can see something work that we don't understand. And then we can begin to come out of integrity by making claims about mechanisms, by calling things proofs or calling things mm. scientific that really are not, instead of, um, instead of being honest about the mystery involved, you know? And so to me, it's, it's a very, it's a difficult, but really important and really valuable uh, challenge of integrity to mm. hold both of those things in balance, to be honest enough and willing enough to say, um, we really aren't sure about these mechanisms. We really don't know quite why they work. And to me, uh, I, I think it really discredits things like Splunkna, um, things like all sorts of things in the holistic world, you know, um, from Bach flower remedies, right, to like every, when we don't admit that we don't understand mechanisms, I think we smack more like snake oil salesmen. And, um, mm. and instead of instead of having people go ahead and believe us and take on our, whether it's our medicines or our protocols, whatever, um, because we've convinced them so much, right? What, what it actually does, I think, is discredit us. And so it, so you, and until somebody comes out and they show me a meridian line under a microscope, I, you will always hear me admit that the, the mechanisms are mysterious. I love that. Embracing the mystery of it. I love it's that. just honest. I remember yeah. sitting in my very first like core level training of Splunkna, bringing my very medical nursing mind to this training. And it, one thing that really blew my mind was like, I just thought emotions were always just stored right here in my brain. And mm. that's, that's it. And you start talking about emotions have a frequency and anger has a different frequency than uh, joy and gratitude has a different frequency than fear. And it's actually experienced and stored in my physical body. Like that piece alone, I was like, oh, I need a day to just process what you just said. I think we're all trained. Your brain is, it experiences your life and your body just 
follow suit. Well, so speaking of that, um, you there is scientific proof um, in the traditional sense that emotions are are um, um, displayed, experienced, manifesting in literally every cell of the body. Candace Pert's work, uh, Molecules of Emotion, uh, a couple decades ago, was a, a groundbreaking discovery of neuropeptides in the brain that anytime you feel any emotion, your brain emits a flood of the neuropeptide that matches that emotional state. And the mm. neuropeptide actually floods through your entire body. And each cell in your body, the cell wall has little, um, they're like little puzzle piece receptors. And the receptors have a shape on them. And the shape only is made to fit a particular neuropeptide. And so literally, you feel a feeling, your, your brain floods neuropeptides of that little puzzle piece, and all the cells in your body grab it with a little, a little receptor that is the mm. right shape to grab it. And not only does that happen with all your emotional experiences, but your the cell walls themselves and the presence of those neuropeptides is also plastic in the sense that the more emotion, the, the emotions that you practice a lot, you feel that emotion a lot, your cells will literally begin to adapt and grow more receptors for that mm -hmm. emotion. And the ones, the emotions you never feel, those receptors will die off because your cell walls are adapting all the time to how you train your body in, in what you practice feeling. And so that's even before we understand about frequencies, we already have more traditional physical proof that your emotions are not just experienced in your brain. Oh, that is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. So when you practice fear for 20 years and you right. let that you don't have any attempt to shut that down. You just live in it. You let yourself yep. catastrophize every situation. Your body is created to adapt to what it is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, let's get on board with this fear. We're going to wrap all these cells and fear receptors, our neural pathways in our brain. We're going to take that fear highway and we're going to reinforce it and make it thicker and wider. And your body's yeah. like thinking it's successing. It's in success. Cause it's like, yep, you told me to be fearful. Here I am. I'm doing all the things. Yeah. Not yeah. only that, but if you do that, if you've lived a life like that, and then you attempt to feel peace or secure or confident, right? All of a sudden your cells go, wait, we don't have receptors for that. So it's a vicious cycle, right? It's mm -hmm. a, it becomes even more difficult to practice opposite emotional states because you don't have the cell receptors for them. I, yeah, I was I love an example of yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that's exactly what I experienced. I had to, I had to first allow the healing and then I, I always talk about it. Like Splunkna offered me this counter balance. So it's like a crane hanging off the side of the building, but there has to be a counterweight for the crane to pick up the weight that it's going to then upload onto the building. And it's this really fine balance in the system. And so as I started to heal and release some of the hard and some of the invalidated feelings and the bad identity traits that didn't belong to me, right? All of the things that come with healing, you're kind of disrobing all the bad. You, you can't just do that because then you're just kind of stuck with like, I don't know who I am. And like, this is just really uncomfortable. And so then as you start to kind of pull the heavy out, then, then you get to just start attaching the good. And I just told Laura, we recorded a, a different episode and I told her like, I had no idea that you could like fall apart sobbing in joy because I've oh, only really? ever sobbed in anguish and pain and sadness and anger and bitterness. So like, mm -hmm. 
literally it has taken me probably close to five years to create a frame where I was able to experience joy in this like ugly cry. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that God had this kind of happiness and excitement and joy and like godly pride and achievement, right? Like all of these great yeah, things. You're like, oh my gosh, tears of joy are a thing. Yes. Totally. Yeah. totally. Not just in the Hallmark movies. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's so good. I love learning about this kind of stuff so much. Um, I think the last thing I, I want to say before we kind of close this up is like, there is two main experiences that I've had as a practitioner with clients. One of them is like you're trudging through very memorable trauma for the clients and you're addressing a very specific event that they went through and you're, you know, clearing emotions from it and breaking agreements in prayer and all this kind of beautiful stuff. And you hear from the client later and they're like, man, I just feel lighter. I feel this or that, or my thinking has changed or man, I've been able to be grateful for my kids in a new way. And I've also had this experience where the client doesn't always remember what we're working on. Maybe it was something when they were too young to remember and they don't have that conscious and you go through the appointment and you clear emotions and you break agreements and the client leaves and they're just kind of like, okay, all right, we cleared it. And it wasn't this big emotional thing because they don't have the, the, not always a big emotional thing because they don't have the uh, cognizant memory of it. But still two weeks later, they'll contact me and be like, oh my gosh, I am noticing this is different. I am noticing my thinking is different. I'm noticing my connection, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, to me, it makes sense that the first scenario where they are conscious of what we're working on and the healing and the big emotional stuff that would bring healing, but it's almost even more shocking when you work on something that the client maybe doesn't have a um, conscious memory of, and they still get this amazing breakthrough in their life. And that to me speaks on like, it really is just that layer of mystery. It's this layer well, of that is, that is, it's very, um, very mysterious and surprising that, that, and it's very Western of us also to think that we're only made up of what we consciously remember because mm -hmm. it's so, so not true. We, I remember when I, my first was born, his blood sugar tanked and, um, a couple hours after he was born, they put him in the NICU and they wouldn't let me stay with him. And I was, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy in that case. Cause I know too much about how I'll be, how the heart is responding and everything. And the well-meaning nurse who's been in NICU for, you know, 30 years was like, Oh honey, don't worry about it. He won't remember any of this. And I was like, I will, I will cut you. <laughs> I know you things actually, you don't know. <laughs> you actually think that him not remembering this consciously means it's not affecting him, but, but she really does think that which is a yeah. it's a it's unfortunately naive we are very much affected by and just as made up of the things that we are not consciously remembering but did happen to us we're just as much made up of those as we are of any of the things we know about absolutely which is one of the other really great things about this particular tool about Splunkna. it's a it's a way and there aren't a lot of them it's a way to get to that pre-conscious and subconscious trauma mm -hmm. yeah I'm because we don't I yeah, want to butt in. I want to butt in with one question. And I think that there are many, many things in this world. And as I've kind of fumbled my way through my learning and my experience in this way, 
I come from a coaching background and it became very clear at times when I was bumping into trauma. I didn't know what to do with it before Splunkna, but uh, it was clear that this was not something someone could be pushed through. And so I have learned that there are certain things that we culturally say that can't be healed. Some of them are addiction based. I would say narcissism is one that you oftentimes hear people say like narcissism can't be healed. Um, I've also heard of like domestic violence patterns being impossible to heal. Why would you argue with that based on what you've seen? Like what, I guess my question is, what is the most amazing thing that you've seen healed through your work with Slangna and in what it's done? Those are totally different questions. Um, Why I would argue with personality disorders, for instance, can't be healed. I would argue with that because I, th- I think the question there really has to back up one level to the understanding that the person has about what causes a personality disorder. If if you think that a personality d- disorder is an organic brain malfunction um, that has nothing to do with a person's choices or life experiences or responses, um, if if that's where you think it comes from, then I could see why you would have the frame that it can't be healed. When you when you have a different understanding of how we get like we are, so one of the fundamental frames of Splunkma's way of thinking is that it is is highly highly focused on personal responsibility. Um, what I mean by that is we see symptoms as coming from a combination of the life experiences that we have but mostly our responses to them. So what Splatna does is it takes the person back to the critical moments in their life when those decisions were made, when we believed a really critical lie, for instance, or we made a vow about a particular way to function in the world, or um, when we agreed on a subconscious level to different trades or, or different secondary gain or protective mechanisms or strategies of all different sorts. Okay. So, and, and our understanding is we, that if we first clear out all the emotions that were in the moment prompting me to make that particular decision, then I'm, I'm released and freed up in order to really break the decision now live in session. Okay. And so that if you think of a personality disorder as being formed through a combination of life experiences and the decisions made in reaction, then that absolutely can be undone. Because if I agreed on sub-subconscious level for whatever this set of symptoms is, then I can unagree. Mm. And so that's so the, the question of is it impossible to heal or not really has to back up to our understanding of how did it get that way in the beginning. I love that. Thank you. So what's the most amazing thing that you have seen healed? Most amazing. Oh my gosh. Thing, I know that's impossible. Pick one. Because I know there's a million. Well, I have seen narcissism heal. I have seen borderline heal. Um, I, oh, what, what's a, um, one of my favorites I would say is, uh, was early on was, um, years back. It's one of those amazing early things that, that made me keep fighting for the development of this because it was so crazy effective. Um, had a, a client bring in her little one who was, she was not verbal yet. So she was probably, I don't know, between 12 and 18 months. So little, little, and she, they brought her in because she was compulsively banging her head on the floor until she was, was black and blue. And she had pulled all of her hair out. Now mm. she was their third daughter. 
and they hadn't had anything like this before. When I asked them what's going on, you know, traumas and that nothing, they could, they were baffled. They didn't know what, you know, they had taken her to the doctor and they, um, they had no idea what was going on. Now, obviously I cannot ask this little girl, right? I can't say, so what's going on? Why are you pulling out your hair and wanting to bang your hair on the floor? Right. Because she's not, she's not verbal. And so we did what we do in Spockman, which is we came before the Lord and we said, Lord God, we don't know. We need you to help us because you're the only one who knows. Would you please search through by your spirit, the way you talk about in Psalms and Proverbs, where the spirit of the Lord is like a, a lamp and a, um, a light into those secret hidden places in the soul, you know, would you mm-hmm. come and search through her little soul and mark for us, which is what how Spockman always begins. Would you mark for us in the person's database where the frequencies are, you know, would you mm-hmm. mark the original root moment of this issue Um, mark out each of the emotions for us that were involved in that moment and then and then with the muscle response testing we follow in and say so to the client system so where in your database in your body did the spirit of the lord just mark meaning what age are we going to how many emotions did you feel in that moment of trauma where's each one stored in your body now this isn't something again that i can verbally or consciously ask the client this is done through a surrogate um i used her mom's arm for muscle testing right and so we're, we go through and we clear out emotion by emotion. Her issue went to the womb and having lost a twin in the womb. So the mother had conceived twins and one of them had died early on. And the little girl had a whole slew of emotions mm-hmm. about that. Um, your, your typical kind of survivor trauma, guilt and so forth. And when we cleared out all that guilt and, and we w- helped her um, in forgiving herself, for um, the twins death and that she couldn't help her and all of that right all of this that would seem to the western conscious mind like super nutty wacko right well we do all of that and never once did she ever hit her head again and never pulled her hair out again all of it grew back she's i think i don't know she's got to be in her 20s she's probably 20 22 by now um And it just, and who knows what her life trajectory would have looked like. Yeah. It's hard to even imagine that. I can't even, right. Like you're like, and, and that's such an example where, you know, what, what are not, not to throw them under the bus because they, they do a very good job of what they can do, but what, what, what would the doctors have done? Mm -hmm. Right. Like you, there's no, there's not a medicine that's going to go in and resolve that for her. That Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a deep soul's existential um, emotional trauma um, and, and even if even the most skilled talk therapist wouldn't have been able to get to that because she doesn't know it to describe it. Um, and, and, and even if she did know it, it wouldn't do anything. And it's not an uncommon trauma, correct? I know. Yes. Van- vanishing twin. The, the Western medical community says a vanishing twin might be that it might be as, as high as 45% of pregnancies begin as multiples which means like nearly half of us lost a twin in the womb and are affected by it in different ways that we don't even, we aren't even conscious of. And um, I know it's wild stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but she's a, she's a really dramatic, really beautiful example of the kind of thing that God uses this tool for. Mm -hmm. I love those dramatic stories. I know. And I have done really cool sessions with people on vanished twins and they are powerful. And it's, it's that same thing we have subconscious memories that are affecting us and we just have no idea. So Sarah, thank you for coming on. I'm going to just wrap this up by saying, if you're thinking about doing Splunkna and you're waiting to wrap your head around it, challenge yourself to embrace a little bit of mystery, 
knowing that there is some science that we know about it, but it's not, it's not everything. And if you can understand that your experience as an adult, as a teenager, wherever you're at in your life right now is run not only by your conscious memories, but a whole database of subconscious memories that you just don't have access to. If you can understand that part and be willing to maybe address some of that subconscious part and let the Lord meet you there, there could be some really powerful and exciting healing for you there. So uh, stay tuned for next week. We're going to continue talking with Sarah and we're going to talk about the, the faith side of this the faith side of Splunk. Now we went kind of into that scientific side now. Now we're flipping the coin. And what is the faith side? The faith side is really what sets Splunkna apart from so many of these modalities. And mm-hmm. it really is such an amazing encounter with the Lord. When I'm working as a Splunkna practitioner, I feel like I'm just hanging out with the Holy Spirit for that hour. It is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And so I'm excited to jump into that. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Again, if you have any questions, we're going to have our contact information listed in the show notes, and you can email us and let us know what those questions are so we can base future episodes on your questions.